It's episode 117. We're going to talk about the equity framework, our inability to approve a calendar in this council, and a hotel uptown. Welcome to episode 117, R&D in the QC. We promised we'd be more frequent, and it's been six weeks or so. That's more frequent. About right, yeah. It had been, we promised it had two been weeks, eight months. Six. So, um, we'll see. We're getting a little better. First segment, born- Larkin. The one I promised you, we're going to do dad jokes. You can't laugh. Can't laugh. Ready? Not laughing Happy- at you is... One of the things I'm best. I mean, at. you gotta laugh if it's funny, but you're not supposed to. Okay. Um, did you hear about the kidnapping at the school? It's fine. Not. He woke up. Why can't you hear a pterodactyl using the bathroom? The pee is silent. How do you, you find Will Smith in the snow? Jokes that you already know. How do you find Will Smith in the snow? These are funny. You have to follow the fresh prince. You're just not funny. Hey, have you heard the new movie about it's called Constipation? Yes or no? No. Oh, that's because it hasn't come out yet. <laughs> You're the worst. Well, that went well. Okay. All right. Um <laughs> That's about as funny as Anything you ever say. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. So now our new framework that we've just decided upon, which is I'm on the inside and you're on the outside, like a normal human reading the paper. And we're going to talk about some stuff that maybe you weren't part of the deep, deep, painful conversations of what is turning into one of the most painful terms on council. I think I've had, and that's saying a lot. Uh, so, so first yeah, up equity framework, from, what do you from, know? From outside looking in uh, now, I will say this. I know uh, I saw because one of your colleagues, one of my former colleagues sent out an email on their campaign email list with a timestamp to go look at the video. uh, And it kind of framed it as an us versus them type of thing. And so I went and looked and I saw your comments, uh, Ed Driggs's comments and Tori Watlington's comments about this framework. Now, what I will say is having been on the inside before, one of the things that gives this some credence in my mind, the work that is, uh, is that Federico Rios was involved in it, who I think is a rock star. Uh, I think he's doing really good work at the city. Um, so I'm inclined to think that there's some substance to it and it's not simply just a resolution. Um, but as you'd be wrong, talk, as you'd be wrong in that case. On, uh, well, but are they saying that this is the end of the work or is this the beginning of the oh, work? Oh, no, no, of course not. Nobody would be, I mean, they're sophisticated enough to know to say, this is just the beginning of a long journey where, where my problem lies. And I think, you know, you'd hopefully agree with this is too often people want to take the victory lap and get the headline and say, look, we did it. And sometimes that's all right. Right. But there has to be a little something there. And in this case, you know, I've had, and I didn't just kind of soapbox behind the dice. I had a working session with Federico and the team where we went in I was like, look, look, let's have a debate on it. Challenge my assumptions. And in the end of the day, it's just, I mean, it's, it's essentially like a flow chart of this is city government and this is city staff and this is constituents. And then there's a list of six questions that are distilled down from 30 plus pages of the study that say, it start with like, what are you trying to achieve and end with is equity considered in that? And my thing is that is not a framework first and foremost. And secondly, like we need a real framework. I I believe in this work thoroughly. And I do believe that the greatest threat to achieving equity is in falsely diagnosing disparity. And right now the problem in this council is not, do we remember to bring up equity? We bring it up all the time, way too often. And, and what that sometimes happens where when there's real disparity, when there's real inequity, it's kind of like, you know, the boy that cried wolf and, uh, it just gets drowned out in all the noise. Well, and the that's greatest, the real problem. The greatest threat to your angle on that debate is, and I know you agree with me on this, so I'm, I'm not pointing the finger at you because you didn't do this, but when the counter argument to should we be doing more to consider equity, when the counter argument is, well, that was back, that was way back in history. And like, we're, we're past that now and all that stuff. That's not great either. And like to, to act like suddenly because, you know, 
we've made some progress that there's like not disparity and there's not racism. And again, you didn't do that, but there are comment, there were comments made and are frequently comments made in these conversations as if somehow we've moved beyond race and it doesn't impact people's lives anymore. And there's not bias and all that stuff. And so that, that was I can understand that some of those angles. I'm not saying I'm on that page. I'm not saying that's the argument I take, but I, I there's, there's probably some poorly articulated points buried in there somewhere. But I, I, the broader point is that that angle has been debated and perfected and fought over time. And if you're in uh, urban America uh, and, and that, and you go down that path, whether you're right or wrong, doesn't even matter. You're absolutely well, going to lose. It does you matter. Need- I mean, the, the idea that someone could be right by trying to act like racism doesn't exist anymore or that black people aren't frequently at a disadvantage in this country. It's now your point is not everything is biased. And that's, and that's where I racist, think the, the crux is but, of the but problem. To act like the opposite is true and that nothing is biased and nothing is racist is absurd as well. So um, yeah, but I, do, I, I totally agree anyway, with that. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think totally that, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's tough. I mean, and we got into, I'm on the CRVA board now, which uh, I know you're going to talk about uh, something else related to that here in a minute, but there was a conversation on our board about um, how we make sure that the minority business owned enterprises are getting, you know, a fair shake at, uh, at opportunities. Now they just did a big vendor fair, had a bunch of people come in um, and were able to learn about the opportunities that the CRV has to work with the city. But we know that a lot of those, um, a lot of those businesses that get those women and minority business uh, contracts, we know a lot of those are white women. And, and I know you and I both know people who have put ownership of a company in a spouse's name and things like that to make them eligible for these sorts of, of contracts and opportunities. So, yeah, so just, th- th- and that's wrong every single time, but there's a lot of white women. Bi- are we, so are we also claiming that there is no, no inequity for white women owned businesses in this again, world anymore? There's, there's things where if, if I'm a black small business owner in this community and, and, and this actually I think underscores your point is people just are looking for a way to declare victory for political purposes. And they go, we've upped our, uh, we've upped our achievement on, you know, MWSBEs. We'll, let's break that down if most of that is just going to affluent white women yes we should be doing business with women-owned businesses but then some politicians holding up a stat that says look how much we've increased mwsbe but very little of that's going to black or hispanic-owned businesses or asian-owned yeah, businesses but see, but, than- so th- this rounds out this topic right here because we haven't uh, had a, a pod since like the last disparity study that we accepted and we're heading towards adopting that and um, and some of the stuff with the procurement issue that's happened. All these stories in my mind are all part of the same narrative right now. And so I, fo- I fought vehemently against what I saw. I went and broke down the disparity study. And again, for those who don't follow that, um, every couple of years in the cycle, we're required by law to go through and see if a disparity still exists in the way that we dole out city money to contractors, to companies, to different initiatives to see if there's an inherent or implicit bias in who we're giving the money to. And by federal law, everybody has to do this across the country because you're not just allowed to award people that aren't the lowest bidder unless you've defined a real disparity. And the problem is the numbers are, you can present numbers any way you want. They presented numbers back to us that when I went into the weeds of it, I realized like, you know, 12% or, or so of, of the, businesses that were there and the money that was deployed went to minority owned businesses of that 2.5% of the money went to black owned businesses, but there were only 2% of black businesses that were in the universe to give that money to. So in reality, we overclocked, we overpaid for the percentage of businesses that were black owned for the amount of money we gave them. Now that means one clear thing to me. There is no inherent or implicit bias and disparity in how we give money out. Now, I could make the e- argument very easily. There is a disparity or inequity in the number of Black-owned businesses in this space or in this vertical versus that, but that's not government's problem to solve. Our problem is to make sure those that are there and they and they have an opportunity, we're not good old boying the money somewhere else. 
and the private sector, maybe the government to some small extent, things like the mayor's racial equity initiative, that's where creating new businesses and new opportunities exist. And now I knew what was going to happen and whether it was in this equity framework discussion or the procurement issue we have with the economic development department, we're overclocking money to minority owned and black owned businesses right now. We are going over and above for those that exist. And when we look back to the disparity and we say, oh, well, look, what are we supposed to do? You know, we, we have to find more to give to. No, more need to be created and exist. We're overclocking those that exist. And that's the hard truth of it. Well, one, one thing that we saw, I think with some frequency was the fact that there are a handful of businesses who are great partners of the cities, but they, we just keep, it's like, oh, well, that's how we can check the boxes. Keep going back to the well of these handful of, of places. And we need to be spreading it wider, not just putting more into a handful of large ones that already exist and are doing well. Continue to work with them, but but to your point, we've got to we've got to get more businesses created, more businesses registered. Uh, there's also undoubtedly a litany of businesses in our community that would be eligible, but just haven't had the help uh, or haven't been pointed in the right direction to get registered to be able to do that work and, and be considered by the city. So. Um, all right, so we are going to invite on, should be on here in a minute. We'll start our next conversation while she logs on. But we're going to have Dante Anderson on here. And so as everyone knows, there were two completely new council members who came on, Dante Anderson and Marjorie Molina. Marjorie is going to be on the show hopefully within the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to have Dante on today. The other two new-ish council members were James Mitchell and Luana Mayfield, both of whom have been on council for a long time. Both of you have been on the show before, but we wanted to have Dante on and Marjorie soon because most of our listeners probably haven't had the opportunity to get to know them, um, unless maybe you live in their district. Dante represents District 1. She took over the seat that I had previously occupied, and Marjorie took over the District 5 seat, the one that soon-to-be Judge Newton uh, recently departed from. Judge Newton, that's right. That's coming up, huh? It was really, I, I got a kick out of it. I went and early voted uh, on the first day. And you go through the ballot and, you know, there's a dozen judge races. Most of them aren't even contested. Um, and his is not. His is not contested. And so he um, he will be a judge, barring some sort of wild write-in campaign. He will be one of our newest district court judges. That's exciting. And just on cue, Dante is in the waiting room. Should we bring her on, Larkin? Bring her in. Let's go. And now. Dante is holding very still. We welcome to the program newest city councilwoman from remember in the thing when the I got most my powerful uh, district. My my neighborhood's wrong, Larkin. There's Dante. Dante, welcome to the program. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. Is that a reggae air horn you just blah, did? Blah, blah. Yes. <laughs> That's my reggae air horn uh, Very nice. there. What's going on, gentlemen? Well, we're in the middle of talking about council and politics and stuff. And now first, actually, this is your first time on the pod or were you in during the election? See, that's right. Larkin had already backed away from doing the pod at that point. We didn't, we didn't do our candidate interviews like we did last time around um, yeah. this year. So no, first time on the pod. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Thank you, kind sir. We want our listeners and our viewers to get to know you. And so, um, and we got some questions for you. Okay. Um, Pat, your, your first six or seven weeks, whatever it's been on council. But uh, give us like the, the three minute, who is Dante? Who is Dante? Three minutes. Okay. Charlotte native, born and raised um, right here in District 1. I was uh, educated at CMS schools for the majority of my uh, secondary education and um, moved away to finish up high school down in Georgia. And I lived in the Northeast for about 20 years, uh, splitting my time between Boston and New York City. Lived in Brooklyn, really loved Brooklyn and uh, came back here to Charlotte at the end of 2011. In 2011, I, um, I packed up my house, I packed up my two cars and I traveled around the world for a year. And uh, that was a fantastic journey. We can talk more about that later, maybe over a beer or a glass of wine. Were the cars heavy? <laughs> they were heavy, man. I mean, 
you know, I had to get some big guns to be able to lift them up. <laughs> Don't encourage Tark's dad jokes. Uh, real quick, we have a very serious question for you. Um, what, uh, wh what do you give a sick bird? Some tweetment. We're doing dad jokes. This is Friday dad jokes. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Real right. questions. Larkin, continue. Yeah. No, it was Dante that you interrupted, not me. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I moved back here at the end of 2011 and thought that maybe I would just be back in the city to just get acclimated. Many of the books that um, you read around when you're taking these extended trips, they say, go to a space where you kind of ease back into society, where you're not like living in a, out of a backpack and you're not, you know, taking all your stuff around with you. And my whole family's here. They never left. So I was the only sort of prodigal daughter that left and came back and had some closeness with my family. It was great and hadn't lived that close to my family in a while and just decided that I wanted to stay, really. Uh, I got a short-term rental in Dilworth and got reacclimated with the city. And then about six months later, I bought a house right down the street. So um, yeah, so I've been here for 11 years, investing in the community, volunteering, dedicating my time and working in the community and um, decided I wanted to take a step into um, politics so grant decided to run for charlotte city council and here i am and you won tell us about what you do professionally yes so professionally um i work for cisco systems so i work in it and uh, specifically i work in it within it so where all the real real nerds are <laughs> i hang out with those guys I'm, now I'm you're talking tarts language i love it let's go <laughs> that's great yeah so for the last um, year and a half, I've been the chief business officer for Cisco IT, the IT group within Cisco. And that all that means is a lot of fancy words. Basically, it means meant I ran the business internally to make sure we were operating efficiently, working on the right projects, prioritizing things, um, um, making sure people had the right career pathing, opportunities, career development, et cetera. And just recently actually moved into our uh, chief operating officers group where I help work on um, all things culture and community for IT. So how we relate in the communities that we work in from Cisco, but then building out our tech communities internally and setting, um, creating an environment for our culture and being very intentional about our culture. And the COO, at Cisco has IT under her purview. So this is pretty awesome because first time I ever worked, when I worked for the CIO, she was a woman. She was a woman. She still is a woman. She's moved to a different role. And then when I shifted over to uh, the chief operating officer, she's a woman as well. And so she has technology underneath her purview in addition to supply chain and uh, a litany of other things. So, yeah. That's crazy. I, 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 I have a, we'll talk about it over beer some other time, but I always find it a very interesting case study for large technology-based organizations where technology reports and the yes. differences between embedded in a business, centralized under a COO, a CTO, a CIO, all has very different pros and cons. And that'll be a good little thing for us to nerd out on sometime. Absolutely. We can totally nerd out on that. Do you always have to specify Cisco systems so that people don't think you work for the guy who sang the thong song or works <laughs> for a company that makes the malt liquor that uh, nobody thinks that. <laughs> no, they don't ever think that you work for the guy who sang thong song. No, no, I haven't gotten a thong song uh, mix up, but definitely the Cisco foods, right? Especially here in Charlotte, because Cisco foods has a presence here in Charlotte. So people are, are like, are Cisco both food familiar? or Cisco? Are y'all yeah. both familiar with, Cisco malt liquor. I, I'm unfamiliar with Cisco malt liquor. I know a lot of malt liquors. I can't say I know that one. Uh, I'm going to show it to you now. Um, <laughs> now we're in Larkin's sweet spot. Well, I highly recommend that you never drink this. Oh, I know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that oh, old wow. school stuff. It's there was Cisco and then Mad Dog 2020 and. Uh, and you want to know the best part? 
Ugh. two of the flavors are red and orange. <laughs> That's Those right. The, flavors. It's, <laughs> the flavor is red. That's what it says. Red. That's well, exactly right. Exactly right. Great commentary, Larkin, from one of the most influential technology companies on the planet to that that comment. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh anyway, back now to the regular schedule program. Dante, what do you think about the last several weeks of however long it's been on council? I mean, you're my seatmate, you're next to me. I I yes. do make a hobby out of trying to make you laugh. What's possible with looks Clark and weird said he tiny been, comments? Dark said hey. he hadn't been able to break you yet. Oh, I, I, bro I broke her several times. <laughs> and we're learning sign language together. That's right. So we now have oh, the new I sign thought language. Was, I thought that sign language was her talking about the magic trick that you no, did this, this is all well, That's true. I'll show you the magic trick later. But this we've learned is, uh, I believe, proposal. Uh, proposal, proposal, proposal. Because we, so we're just sitting there, you know, bored out of our minds half the time watching the uh, sign language ladies do uh, do sign language. But um uh, i here let's we were going to have this as a segment uh, on the show with just lark and i but we'll do it with you um what do you think about our inability to approve a calendar mm. well the calendar was approved well yeah, accidentally <laughs> <laughs> after approved. a deep audit and recon yes it was we're really testing we're really testing patrick uh and his his having to go back and figure out all these uh, strange little quirks and nuances. Yeah, yeah, we got to keep Patrick on his toes, so uh, his tools will stay sharp. Yeah, <laughs> interesting, um, interesting conversation. Interesting conversation. Um, you know my positionality. I am one to think that um, let's let's try to address what some of the key challenges are and take a stab at making those better. We're not going to get them all the way to break, you know, on the first take, but let's do that before we just throw more energy, effort, and time at something. And so that's my perspective. And if we just approve something up front without even having any kind of work done to, as it relates to try and make this better, then there's no incentive, incentive to make it better. And that's what I've been sharing with my colleagues. Like, well, there's no incentive to make this better now, right? Because we're just gonna throw time and 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 energy at it versus thinking about how we can make it better. So, but yeah, that we had a very interesting um, council meeting. This last meeting, I think the the last fifteen minutes of that meeting was like, you know, best of real for for the season here. <laughs> it's been rough. Was the last fifteen? What was the last fifteen minutes? We did just before you came on. Um, talk some about the equity framework. Yes, is that what that was? Was that the last fifteen minutes? That and then the and then the calendaring, the calendar, and then, uh, and then council. He means the last hour and a half. <laughs> I was about to say, there's no way that was fifteen minutes. And then council members speaking to each other in German and having to be reminded that we need oh, to yeah. keep a, an, an American English record of the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome because I had the you know sometimes when you're Suddenly sitting you're German listening attentively and then it's like wait what I don't understand oh that's a different language because I'm like wait I don't know what what words are Dante thought she was like, having a stroke like <laughs> yeah. the sign language lady was like ah give up <laughs> I got nothing <laughs> all right so Dante yeah. first seven weeks what's been the best surprise about the job and what's been the most frustrating uh, part of the job in seven weeks. Yeah. The the best thing about the job, I think, is uh, a misnomer that like council is always like at each other's neck. My experience for, for the last six, seven weeks is that there's a, an appetite to dialogue and to work together. Now, we're, we're, all, we're coming from different perspectives, so we're not all singing Kumbaya, but I can pick up the phone and call Tarek or Victoria or any of any of the council members and have a, a very good conversation and we're gonna and they're we're amicable and we speak to the issues and I think that's great because that gets us to a better answer right so I think that's the best thing about being on council um the most frustrating thing about being on council in the last six or seven weeks is the inconsistency of the food that is served <laughs> well I gotta tell you, you know why that is, right? You know whoa. why that is. It's like from here there. to here, like whoa, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm that was, you know, that was one of my. 
promises to my colleagues was I was going to write the ship and we did for a time. And I, I hate to see all that work just being undone. Well, I can I'll, put I'll that on his mailers. Yeah. I'll talk to somebody. <laughs> I mean, y'all can bring me back as a, like, you know, 10 hour a week food consultant. Yes. You I, can, can be I will take on that role. Advisor. You can be our yeah, culinary advisor. Are you a, are you an MWSBE Larkin? I'm sorry, because <laughs> now we're going to have to get back into the equity framework conversation. I am not. Okay. So, um, but he has some subcontractors who are, so it's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> so what's, what's, uh, I, and I would just comment to your first point. Uh, I do think that, um, that's, that's a, a, a difference that exists. There's still some old pains and wounds that exist that still exist from the last term, but the last three year term, I mean, we went through some brutal times and I think everyone, most everyone made is making a real big effort to try to like get back to that amicable nature of, of where we are right now. And I mean, right. I, you know, we're still having some debates and stuff, but it isn't anything like the, 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 the tenor of where we were for the last three years. I can tell you. That's awesome. That's good. And we want to keep it that way. I, I quite frankly, I do. Right. Um, I want to keep it that way. I do too. I get tested. I'm every week. I'm getting tested more and more. I'm like, no, I'm so, this is the new talk. Are we still talking about council. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. It's just life in general. Uh, so Dante, you've only got uh, about a year left in this term, even though you just started. So, um, you know, hopefully you're not going to have a, a serious competitor running into next year, hopefully get back in there and you're going to have longer than just this first term, but given this first term and how short it is, what's something that you hope the council can accomplish before. And I, and I promise you this will happen next summer. Everybody's going into campaign mode. City staff starts to pull back from council because of the campaign season. Yeah. Not a lot gets done. And it's really frustrating because everybody's being asked to do 150 candidate surveys every week and 1500 candidate forums every week. And, Yes. Uh, you just get distracted. So what can y'all get done in the next like seven months that you've got before everybody goes into campaign mode? Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, couple things. One is that I introduced this whole concept of um, sand rock boulders to my colleagues. I don't know. Have they, have they shared that with you, Larkin? No, I'm not getting briefings anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been taking off the email list. Mark, it's the me, sand, I'll, sand I'll do the Sandrock Boulder uh, debrief later with there you. There you go. All right, there you go. But um, the whole point One of exercise is, might be asking Tark if he can explain it to see whether he was paying attention or there's not. There's boulders. They're the big, heavy things, hard to move. There's rocks. You can move some. There's sand. It's everywhere. It's flowing. And it gets like in, it gets in your clothes. You can't get it off. Your toes it's your, and, yeah, exactly. I hate sand. <laughs> But yeah, like that's that's what I think we need to do. And I don't know that we've had a definitive conversation around it. I think there's been, you know, like um, pockets of conversations here and there after our orientation. But we we need to land on what are those one or two things that we can work on collectively as a council or what what's that one big thing that we can work on. Right. I think personally, one of the things we can address is this whole um, challenge that we have with homelessness um, throughout the city. But in particular, there are some pockets where it's really bad in our, in our homelessness population, the unhoused population have become, some, some of them are maintaining and just trying to get by and build out of that. And some are, becoming very aggressive to other constituents in those areas and there's friction that is is occurring, right? Um, and I think if we can put our heads together on how we can work on that, perhaps, of course, in partnership with um, some of the nonprofit private organizations, but also perhaps, I don't know, maybe with some of our um, county commissioner, um, you know, uh, constituents as well, we can have a make an impression over the next several months. I think that's something we can do. It's doable. I'm not saying I'm going to solve the entire homeless problem in the city, but I think that is something that we can put together a plan and address and move the needle on. I, my, as someone who has, this has been a very large topic in, for many years for me, and I've done 
a lot of different things. I'm certainly very ramped up on it. My gut reaction is there's there is more than enough empathy in leadership to go around for this. There yeah. is not even remotely close to the amount of will to do the tough things necessary to, to balance with that empathy to, to actually make a solution viable. I think this is one of the most solvable things in the entire city if a mixture of both of those things are available. And there's just, I mean, you've seen, I'm not going to ask you to say yes or no or whatever. You've seen how people pander, right? In this role, in these positions. It's it's something where when you step out for something you think and know is right, it's not easy. And there's some people that are unable to do it. There's some people that are unwilling to do it. And that's a topic where you have to be willing to go out there and take some arrows and be both empathetic and, and, you know, have the will to make, to, to make, to do some tough love. And I don't think it exists. Yeah. And then, you know, you also think about just the importance of uptown for us um, from a commerce perspective, of course, from um, our corporate citizens, but then the nightlife and the amount of restaurants and activities that are occur within Uptown, if we don't have a safe environment up there where people feel comfortable, you know, we're talking about um, this whole concept of social districts, right? And so banning outside of bars and restaurants, if we don't have an environment where people feel comfortable late at night, early in the morning, um, in some of these spaces, they're going to, they're going to become larger problems. So I think this is something that we can address as well. Agreed. That's my answer, Larkin. What's uh? Here's a real and and look, I I'll open it up for you to take it any route you want because you've been thrown off the deep end into this whole land use rezoning world. But you've seen up front, you've seen me go through some real tough ones. You've seen these broader discussions and how different people fought. You've seen us have a near miss on even doing a rezoning meeting in December because people view it as why would we do developers a favor? And they don't kind of see the other side of it as this is part of that timeline and overhead that adds 30% of costs uh, to the unaffordability of our housing. So do you, are you starting, do you have kind of a overall position or at least approach in your mind for how you plan on over the next year, kind of approaching rezoning? I do. Yes. Um, and one, one approach that I'm taking and I'm, I've already done that is to be prepared when I walk into these meetings. So I've done my homework. I understand what the issues are. I've spoken to, uh, the constituents if there are, if they are not embracing these projects. And I've also spoken to them as it relates to what they believe the benefits are right. And having this development occur. So we got to do our homework first. That's, that's, you know, and I know everyone doesn't, you know, feel the same way about homework. And I know that men and women approach homework differently. Did you know that? Uh, Some council members are, told their homework at all. I did not know that. Doesn't everyone just do it in the last hour before class? No, that's the boys. They open up, they open that's up the their homework packet when they get to class. That that's day. not a boy thing, is it? That's more like an ADD thing. That that is data on that, but anyway, I mean that doesn't mean that that's you know hard lines. But um, my point is we got to do our homework, right? Secondly, I think we got to look at, and I think we're going to begin to look at this is you know what are some similarities and some of these um, no friction, low friction projects that we can uh, bundle into a consent agenda. We absolutely need to do that, I believe, if it's legal, right? And of course, Patrick's going to make sure that we stay legal on that. Um, we, we explored that a little tiny bit in 2017, or at least I did, because I was like, man, we should be able to batch these things up. There were, I'm not, I, I don't remember every detail. I remember it, there were some challenges, but I remember thinking it's, it's possible. Right. But, I, I definitely agree. I with think that. legally they probably have to be voted on individually, but you, you should be able to further expedite the hearings beyond the fact that, you know, it's not the 10 minutes for each side type of thing on a, com, uh, contested one, but yeah, there, there are some that should just be slam dunks and, and there could be a lot of efficiency created in that process. And in those meetings in particular, if more people came more prepared 
having already started asking some of the questions instead of waiting until they get uh, at the dais to to launch into some series of questions they could have gotten answered exactly. before they got there. Exactly. And then the other piece is thinking about like how it fits into our 2040 UDO plan, right? So looking at that holistic approach, I think if we take that that three pronged approach, we can find some efficiencies. I know it's not; it might be a little bit bumpy in the beginning, but it we got we have to do something. So that's going to be my personal approach as to how I'm going to address these meetings. Do you do you view the developers and the petitioners as kind of the bad guy, as some have? started to behind the dais portray them as in the problem right now no 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 we're we're going to continue to grow as a city the developers play a critical role in that right um and be honest with you before the udo really comes into fruition there's some things, there's some opportunities that we have to work with the developers prior to that that they're going to have um, more latitude to do once the UDO is fully open. So I've found the developers to be um, very open to dialogue, very open to working in the community, hearing what the community wants, and actually being a partner in that process. So of course not. I didn't. I don't. No, I don't. I don't view them at all as a bad guy. Not the entire unanimous theme, though, yes. of what's happening right now. Very true. Very true. I get Larkin. it. Well, we are very glad to have you on. It sounded like someone was ringing your door, though. It was, but don't worry about that. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to check on that. There's not like someone waiting at your door for you right now. Larkin, the point of you, this is, though, Dante, trick. we have to start figuring out how to take oh. these things, right? And then ultimately magically making them disappear. Do you just know the one magic trick? Because you've done that three times now today. Yeah, it's just that one. <laughs> Have you done that one at the dais? No, I haven't. I have you not done that. I'm gonna I'll bring out I'll do that at the dais. The trick yeah. he usually does at the dais is where he is the one where he shoots himself in the foot. <laughs> True. Right after he dislodges it from his mouth. Yes. Who was the basketball player that did that? That uh, uh, you guys remember that? Yeah, no, yeah. Pla- you think the Plaxico Burris? Oh he yeah, 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 Plaxico. Yeah, the from the Giants, right? Yeah, can't do that. Let Let's just have a firearm in my sweatpants here and go to the club. <laughs> I like, imagine that's what Tar does when he goes to the club. It is. <laughs> it's a big Republican thing to do. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Dante. Of course. Anything else you want to say to the to the viewers and the and the listeners? Oh man, I think. We have a great we have a great group right on on council around council. You guys are awesome. I just think there's a good camaraderie here that everybody's focused on how to make the city better. So we just gotta find that throughput in our various different points of views. But I'm positive that we're gonna be able to make some change. That's from for sure and have an impact. And I really enjoy working with both of you. You've been awesome, Larkin, in the transition. You have been so awesome just helping me. So I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and I know that we're going to continue to work together and we'll probably see you on council or somewhere in the in a very near future because you're you are an awesome leader in our community. Thank you. I'm Would just you glad like to have to- such I'm just glad to have such a good council member uh representing me in district one. So Dante, would you like to say anything nice about me specifically as well? No, no, she had her chance. She she took a pass. <laughs> I will take that as she a proposal like, and Tara, for next time. You and I will continue to sit next to each other. At the Bingo. Thanks for coming on, Dante. Awesome, guys. Take it easy. Have a great All weekend. Right. Dante, councilwoman. So, so what do we got left, Ark? Uh, you know, I think we just uh, we once do, again we, we were do like, a little we can do sports this recap. I got my my Charlotte FC shirt on, as you can see. I see that. And so we, we've had a good soccer year. It's on the right? back of that shirt. My name. Eggleston. Good year for Charlotte FC. Good year for the Charlotte Independence. Not great year for football here. We've had uh, uh, Panthers coach get fired. The UNC Charlotte coach just got fired last week, which I hated because he's a it, great if, dude. Listen, if they win, if the Panthers win this game on Sunday. They lead the division. That, well, if, and I think somebody, the Bucks maybe have to lose or something, but. Um, yeah, our division is terrible. The so Bucks lost last night. Oh, that's right. 
brutally. Um, yeah, our division's terrible. Charlotte Sports, not a great year, but soccer has been going well. Can you year. imagine getting rid of McCaffrey? All the stuff that's gone on if these guys they made start winning. playoffs. <laughs> well, and we got a, a Charlotte guy in Steve Wilkes coaching, so I would love to see my, him get a, premise, a real shot at this because he got he got kind of screwed over in Arizona. My my premise is always that there's a, always a chance when like a coach that maybe wouldn't have had a head coaching opportunity, a starting running back who was in the shadow of the number one running back, and then you know an entire team kind of has what's happened here. All of a sudden, people can people can come together. They can Fine. outperform. They can play for something bigger than maybe they were playing before. And wild stuff can happen. Doesn't mean it will. Tom, it Tom Brady wouldn't be Tom Brady if Drew Bledsoe hadn't gone down. So you just never know. Um, and in other good sports news, the Checkers are back in action, and they started out uh, the season undefeated. So it's, everybody it's hockey, out. man. I I I really like this sports time of year is a fun time when everything starts going like this. Now, I'm, I'm disappointed to say that I missed the opportunity to get one of them, but the tickets uh, are already sold out. Now the secondary market is inflating the values of them. But, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes down in Raleigh are going to play one of the outdoor games this year, the stadium series that the NHL does where they play an outdoor hockey game. They're going to play at Carter-Friendly Stadium uh, where NC State plays in February. Not this is not the 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 big the big outdoor one the I can't remember it's, what it's called. Yeah, I mean, I think they do a couple of them a year now. But There's yes, like a major that. one. Though. Yeah, it's that. It's that. Oh, yeah. That's dude. Let's go to that. We might need to. We're gonna have to overpay for tickets now. Unfortunately, I'm down with that, man. What else do we have on the docket besides the uh, now that that's been sports? Yeah, I you know I think we save I think we save the, the you know you're on the CRVA now on one side of this whole thing. I'm on the city council. You know the elected people. Um, so there's this whole uptown thing with the hotel and the convention center. It touches both of our worlds. You know, I, I think and, and maybe you that give was one that kind of went a little off the rails on, on Monday, didn't it? Uh, the, the Monday before last, it went way off the rails and that's because we were doing it in closed session and we were trying to figure it out. So um, here's we couldn't the, talk uh, about it. Here's the 60 second nutshell, which yeah. is if you, for people that are familiar with the Charlotte convention center, will know that we've just completed a huge renovation there over on the Weston Hotel side. Go to the other end of the convention center, down at the corner of Martin Luther King and College Street. Uh, you'll know right now there's a President's Cup mural on a building. There's some fountains down there. Uh, but there's a Duke Energy building that's very nondescript. Um, they're out of it now. It's been sold. That's the only piece of that entire block of the convention center that the city doesn't own. It's privately held now. Uh, but the city does have a parcel over on Caldwell Street, kind of on the backside of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So there's a conversation going on now where there would be, and it's going to be a lot of moving pieces, and there's going to have to be a lot of different conversations about how to make the two sides of this deal balance. There's a conversation right now about a land swap that would give the city access to utilize some of that parcel on the convention center property um, and give the developer who owns it some of a city owned land on Caldwell and there's a lot of other moving pieces, but it would allow uh, for some redevelopment and improvements on that corner, but also a convention hotel that is much needed. According to a lot of these folks who book these big conventions are saying we need more hotel rooms, particularly ones that are adjacent or attached to the convention center. There was talk when you and I, uh, maybe early on, on our time in council, there were some conversations about, the city needed to invest in building a thousand room hotel. There really wasn't much appetite from us on council to do that. Uh, but now I think they're looking at it as more of a, okay, how do we piece together those rooms? And maybe it's two 500 room hotels and maybe it's not the level of city investment that uh, had been discussed when we talked about the thousand room hotel. But uh, as is the case, it seems like with everything now on council, uh, people see city land and go, oh, I've got an idea for it. And regardless of whether that idea really makes sense, laser tag. Parcel, it's just like, well, wait, I know somebody that would want to do something with that. So how so, did that, how did that end up kind of coming around on, on Monday? Well, it, it was a, some, a lot of offline meetings that happened leading up to Monday. And I mean, you can take some things off the, uh, the, the table right away. Like there, there is no scenario by which the highest and best use of either of those properties is like some affordable housing unit structure right now. It's not simply because the cost of the land cost is of so the land that it's completely impractical and would take away from 
hundreds of other units that can be built in our city. And not to mention the needs of uptown, the needs of the convention center. Like they, they just all like, but there even are other if you places. take out that part, it doesn't make sense. Well, so that, be, the, be while that may seem like a no brainer, that was the chunk of the conversation for a bit. So you put that aside. I think the other piece that we all agreed on was, okay, you showed us the acreage of each spot and the things that are going to go into figuring out how, there, this doesn't work in a cash transaction, but a swap transaction. And, you know, there's no way we can agree or disagree with that now, but everyone, including myself, is going to be looking very closely at what those numbers of the appraisals end up looking like. So you put all that aside. My big pieces were more strategic in nature. One was, um, is the best use for this land indeed hotel? Which again, we're not building the hotel. We're participating in a land swap where we get it but we're, we're playing a role in it in some way. Is it a hotel, which some may argue is the supply side of the hospitality and tourism industry, having more supply to be able to do things, or is it expanding the actual convention center into a third of essentially the puzzle piece that exists there in that plot, which one could argue could increase the demand side. Now you could argue demand and supply apply to both of those, but we've heard for a long time, we need a larger convention center. And, but, we got to the bottom of we're never going to be like a tier one convention center town. Well, you know, we have to play for the sizes and what we have, but, but so that's question one. My other question is more tactical in nature of, you know, we spent a lot of time and money on the rail trail and they had, they showed us kind of as an afterthought, this thing kind of looping around and going outside. And I think there's a, some viable questions to be asked of why would we not have the rail trail follow the rail through the actual convention center uh, for the experience of it. And I think, you know, we gave staff some takeaways to let us see all that. So there's a, there's a lot here and it's a big deal um, that we need to get right. Yeah. And I think there's also a valid question to be asked. I mean, for one, I take the people who are going out and, and pursuing these conventions at their word, that that's the feedback they're getting is here's one of the challenges I have with, uh, bringing my convention or this convention or whatever to Charlotte is, you know, instead of being able to book everybody at one hotel that's right by the convention center, we've got to work with two or three different hotels to get the room blocks we need. Um, so that's the feedback they're getting. And I think that need is there. I think the valid question to ask is how much of a role should the city be playing in creating new hotel competition in center city when it's the money we use for these types of projects is money that's coming from a self-imposed tax on hotels. So hugely if, valid so, question. So, so if hugely I'm a hotel valid. owner and I, okay, if you rise the tide by making the convention center more active and, and bigger things, that's going to float all the boats to a degree. But there's also, I think a challenge for a lot of folks mentally, and, and I might be one of them to think if you're a hotelier, you're paying a tax that's then incentivizing another hotelier to come in and compete with your hotel. So, I mean, that's that's a tough one, I think, to to square, too. Very tough. And I think it's a fair question, too, you know? Um, but the convention center, I mean, we talk all the time about how our airport is an economic engine for our region, not only our city, but, and it really, obviously, it is incredible. Does but Tracy Montrose pay you some sort of... Uh, every time uh, I say airport. Airport, I, airport. She's like, you didn't say airport enough today. What's wrong with I, you? I get one more frequent flyer mile. Um <laughs> But the convention center really is an economic driver for our center city. And so we've talked about um, what does the return to work look like? You know, what is the new normal in terms of uh, people who are going to be in offices five days a week or some days a week? We don't know. Uh, all of that is still in flux. And I think Uptown needs that shot in the arm. But the convention center is back at, uh, you know, mostly booked most weeks. I mean, there's stuff going on in there every week. That's heads and beds. That's people in restaurants. Um having that engine in uptown for our economy is uh is really almost as big a piece as the office component of, of people bringing folks back to work so anything we can do to um to give that an extra boost i think is going to be beneficial for all the businesses in uptown so important question one that we'll both get to weigh in on uh from different sides of it now but hopefully people can um you know i i think you you've voiced some frustrations in the last week or two about people just taking a position or taking a stance or saying things simply to kind of get credit for it. Um, 
and again, I think there's, I've seen it with a couple of city owned properties recently where it's just like, people can't resist the urge to say, well, why can't this be laser tag? There's a, there's a hundred reasons that it, it can't be certain things or that, that certain things make more sense than others. And while I do think, and there's been some um, work done by staff to sort of catalog all the city owned properties and identify which ones there are city owned properties that are great for affordable housing. And we've found those and we've identified those and we need to continue to look for those, but that doesn't mean that it's every one. And the idea that, you'd put something on land that's worth millions of dollars in the middle of uptown. Sure. You could do it, but you know, you're foregoing 10 times more affordable units that could benefit 10 times more families um, in other good parts of the community. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't. We add have up. to rely on pragmatic kind of strategies, not magic. <laughs> For people who are listening, Tarek keeps doing magic tricks, uh, which is, I don't know whether that's incentive or disincentive for you to watch uh, these as videos. I'll have to go back and listen to, to the audio, audio, see how magic comes off in an audio format. I'm guessing just as awkward as it does on the video format. <laughs> well, I think we can call I think this we're about one done here. quits. What, we, we should do another one in what, six, eight months, you think? There's no telling. We do intend to have Marjorie Molina on soon. Uh, hopefully we'll get that done in the next couple of weeks. And you can still... Uh, somehow we've, we've convinced Tim Boyum to keep letting us come on every single week. You can still catch us on once a week on Spectrum News, Capital Tonight, 7 o'clock every night. We are still weekly guests on there, so you can get your dose of R&D in the QC between podcast episodes. But uh, continue to like, subscribe, share, whatever. I still get people, I still get at least like one person a week comes up and asks about the pod. So Somebody, though, if you've listened this dormant, long, you're a diehard member. Please make one of these Halloween memes that are not hot or cool anymore about Larkin. Antar. Larkin. Tech bro. Tech bro Halloween costume. Mm, I bet that already comes, exists. Comes with, comes with neon club lighting for home office. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that one. It was okay. Not funnier than my quarter, dad. Jokes. Quarter zip sold separately. <laughs> I hate you. All right. That's out. it. Episode 117 in the books. Later.